0: Welcome to C is for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories from A to Z. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much for listening to last week's episode. It was so wonderful seeing all of the downloads and views. It's great. Absolutely. It's wonderful. And always, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. If you have any questions, concerns, stories you want us to cover, feel free to email us at c4creepy at gmail.com. Okay. So, what is your O? Oh, this week for O Crimes, I am going to be covering occult murders. Ooh, I'm so excited. I, Okay. I don't know if you should be like that excited just because a cult is a very blanket term, so like we're not gonna get into anything like too specific, I guess. We have no like worshipping Satan. Oh, and... I mean, we're we're obviously gonna talk about worshiping Satan. I'd like to do a specific Satanism crime, like a, a Satanism episode eventually. S is coming up. Mm, um, I think I've a plan for us. Okay. But we will see. Anyways, though, so I'm not gonna get like super, super into that aspect. Okay. But I'm just gonna kind of do a really quick general overview. Yeah, exactly. I'm here for mm-hmm. it. Okay. So according to Dictionary. dot com, occult can be defined as beyond the range of ordinary knowledge or understanding usually in reference to magic or any system claiming use or knowledge of secret or supernatural powers or agencies. Okay. So this is a broad way of saying that the term occult is given in modern day to topics that do not fit into religious or scientific categories. So this includes topics, but it's certainly not limited to subjects like UFO abductions, mysticism, neo-paganism. Kind of getting into that. Like Satanism is in there as well, but like it's a very broad term. What is mysticism? So I'm assuming that's like topics relating to mystics, but I can look up an actual definition. Thank you. I'll be totally honest. I completed my notes like before arriving here. (laughs) (laughs) So, definition of mysticism according to Google. Is the experience of mystical union or direct communication with ultimate reality reported by mystics? Okay. Or the belief that direct knowledge of God, spiritual truth, or ultimate reality can be attained through subjective experience. Okay. So, yeah. So it sounds very interesting. Honestly, the whole occult thing is super interesting to me, so it's wonderful. Your bread and butter. It is. <laughs> Well, that and um, killer cults. Ah, well, that too. Yes. <laughs> okay. In history, occult sciences was used to describe astrology, alchemy, and natural magic in the 16th century. As occultism developed, there was a defining move away from Christianity as a belief system, and leaders in this movement would take pieces of either pagan practices or adopt aspects of asian religions, so like hinduism buddhism and they would turn them into a mix of new practices okay like alistair crowley was a very definite move away from christianity in fact going into anti-christian beliefs right? yes yeah. i would like to put this out here the satanic bible it's not as problematic as let's say other books of christ from my understanding, Satanism is more like focusing on yourself. Do unto others as you want to be upon to you, or something like that. Like, be nice to people. Worry about yourself. That Yeah, that was my understanding of it. I, I know that there's the documentary out there, which I will get around to watching one of these days. And like, it sounds fascinating, but I, I definitely don't go into the whole Satanic panic. Vibe that some people have. Uh, I'll talk about it soon. Oh, yay. Just a little blurb. <laughs> While it can be difficult to label a crime as a cult, because it is such a general term, it is generally used when there is a presence of spiritual, ritual, or ceremonial actions. So basically, if there is signs of abnormal criminal behavior observed it could be considered a cult especially when you're starting to get into like specific days or signs of like an inverted cross or any sort of symbology that would indicate that Okay, I am finding it really interesting that they do not include Christianity under that umbrella of a cult you know I'm not too sure why I think that there is like a separate spiritual like Crimes element, but it's not necessarily under the occult. It's just interesting. It would be, yeah. Yeah. Because the beliefs of those who follow the occult are contradictory to mainstream society, there is a fear towards those who practice this. With fear comes rumors, such as the Satanic Panic in the 1980s, that claimed that Satanists were keeping women to breed infants for sacrificial and cannibalistic purposes. Though many claims of satanic ritual abuse have since been discredited and those who have been convicted for such crimes have been released, from prison there is still a presence of the occult in, like, there's still that fear. Wait, there was a witch hunt for people trying to sacrifice babies? Allegedly. Well, there wasn't allegedly a witch hunt. There was a witch hunt. It's just the crimes were alleged. And there was this whole book, like this woman wrote a book detailing her experiences of being abused by her daycare providers and you got to think too in the 80s like with you know the economics that were going on we were starting to see lean towards where both parents had to work out of the home so daycares were becoming the new normal but with that started this fear of who am i leaving my children with and it Mm -hmm. just spiraled from there so they blamed daycare providers yeah yeah a lot of daycare providers were like Heavily hunted down, and like it's, I'll get into it more later on, but it's just fascinating because so these children were, you know, saying, like, oh, they don't treat me well. Well, they'd get cops in that would lead questioning, Mm -hmm. then they'd get child psychiatrists in that would, once again, lead the questioning to get the answers that children are like that the children think that they are supposed to give, which would then incriminate those providers oh it was a mess it was such a gong show but like the society we were in created a need for childcare providers Mm -hmm. why are you witch hunting them that's like don't get me wrong it was probably new and there wasn't nearly as many regulations and rules oh 100% and don't get me wrong there is definitely some abuse but there's abuse in any system 100% 100% there is so and especially like in new systems before everything is put in yeah, place b- before regulations yeah oh yeah. so that was a very dark page in history no kidding I never actually knew that oh it's fascinating like I said I'll get like really in depth into it eventually because it is just so mind-boggling how People can just latch on to a... An idea. A fear-based idea, too. I think that that's a very important aspect of it, is they're allowing their fear. Like the witch hunts, they're letting their fear dictate these things. Mm-hmm. So... Yikes. So it is not often that someone will commit a crime with the intent of obtaining supernatural powers. It's not very often. There's, like, a few cases of someone trying that, but... Instead, according to the Encyclopedia of Criminology, published in 2005 by Arthur J. Gibson, the most common perpetrator of crimes labeled as occult are what he calls dabblers. These dabblers are essentially those considered as outsiders who are looking for a place where they belong, and in doing so, experiment with different religions, spiritualities, and occult practices. So, he focused more on... Like, a fringe society. Okay. Okay. While the vast majority of crimes committed by these individuals, there are some groups who encourage criminal behavior as well. I did not look any more into that, but they are out there. In anything. Next, yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. So, on to my case. I am going to be covering the Beasts of Satan. A heavy metal band who has some dark secrets. Okay. And just to preface this, I listen to heavy metal. I enjoy rocking as much as the next person. And just because something is labeled as different, I, I don't know. Like it's once again, you get into a fringe group, and people just want to persecute. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not saying that all heavy metal bands are evil. Is i guess what i'm trying to say <laughs> that's fair okay a lot of articles and shows i watched on beasts of satan were very critical too of heavy metal and heavy metal music and how all these are just propagating satanism and death and okay you could say the same thing about rap encouraging violence right like yeah. Or country music. Oh, well, that's why my wife had an affair. She listens to country. Yeah, that's why I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> exactly. I listen to country music, you know. Exactly. Like, if we were to really break it down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, that makes it really hard to go in unbiased. A hundred percent. Because if you start to believe that this heavy metal music is bad you're going to take such a negative outcome from it. Mm-hmm. But then if you love it and you hear someone bashing it, you get your hackles up oh. and you're like, this is a garbage interview. Yep. So either way, you kind of lose. Oh, 100%. It's really important when reporting to keep your bias out of that. It's so important. There is, um, there's um been, I didn't cover it, but once again, fascinating. Um, there was the case where these group, this group of three teenagers killed a, teenage girl and her parents tried to sue the band Slayer because her those kids that killed her daughter listened to their music and she believed that that was the influence that led to her daughter's death so she tried to sue a band oh my god once again incredibly fascinating case but just it's really important that we take these things with a grain of salt yeah and are we starting a witch hunt over music? Exactly. No, it, it just it's frustrating. Like, it's... <laughs> there's better things to start witch hunts over. Hmm. Music is not it. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. As we're talking about unbiased reporting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not very good at that, are we? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get right into it. So this case ends with a car accident. How Lo- does it begin? Well, I'm going to start here, and then I will share more information as we go on. But it's important that we start here. I feel like we're in a game of clue. (laughs) Okay. So located in Italy, the police, also called the Carabinieri, received a call advising them of an accident. When the police arrived to the spot of of the distress call, a man was there. It was obvious to the police that the, men, that the man was heavily under the influence of a cocktail of drugs, and he also looked incredibly sleep deprived. All the man would say is that his girlfriend needed help. Through the woods, the police located two vehicles. They were both in an accident, so one of the vehicles had hit the guardrail on a bridge. Okay. And the second one, it looked like it had, like, tried to turn or, like, swerve, but ended up getting, like, turning diagonally and being stuck in between the two rails of the bridge. So it it was unable to move. Okay. In the driver's seat of the car that was stuck, it was a gray, like, it was a little gray car. But in the driver's seat was a young girl. Not young girl. She was, like, a young woman, I should say. And she, it looked like she was passed out or like like she had overdosed. There was broken glass on the like the windshields and door like the windows in the car were broken. It looked like she had like tried to break out of the car. Okay. And there was her like there was traces of her blood on there too. So either way, obviously something bad had happened. They two of them were taken right over to the hospital. Okay. It was January twenty fourth, two thousand four, and the couple was a twenty eight year old man named Andrea Bolo, Blocke, and his girlfriend was 18 years old, Elizabetha Balleraine. The pair was living in a chalet in the woods not far from the accident. Neither of them were employed, but they both shared a couple of passions, namely drugs and heavy metal. Oh. Upon questioning Ballerine, who was still feeling the effects of the drugs she had taken, the police were concerned. About some of the things that she was telling them. And they decided that the whole incident just warranted further investigation. So they returned back to the scene of the accident and they started digging in a little deeper. So they discovered that the gray car belonged to a woman named Mary Angela Pizzota. And they actually found her purse, her keys, and some other personal effects stuffed inside another bag in the trunk. Oh. That looks good. After confirming Pizzota had not returned home last night, the police decided to search the chalet where the couple had been living. When they got there the place was a mess. There was food and clothes and just garbage and other random stuff just littered around. Like they did not care about Cleanliness. At all. Okay. Um there was also burning candles, there was a snake, and there was copious amounts of drugs. Okay, I'm sorry. They left burning candles. Let's remember, cocktail of drugs. I don't think fire safety was their priority. <sighs> okay. okay. I'm kind of salty about it. <laughs> I know. I can't leave like I got to make sure my hair straightener is turned off before I leave. I have, I have to unplug it. <laughs> Otherwise, I will get halfway to work and be like, oh no. Gonna burn the house down. Literally. I have to unplug it and sometimes I even like take pictures of it. (laughs) Just so I can go back and be like, Did I unplug it? Yes I did. (laughs) Okay. Well the police continued the search for Pizzota outside and they searched the grounds. There was a farmhouse that they looked and they made a very startling discovery in the greenhouse. Poorly buried under some dirt was the body of Mariangela Pizzotta. Her hair, hands, and feet were visible from the mounds of dirt. That was just haphazardly covering her. I'm going to go with copious amounts of drugs. I'm going to go with copious amounts of drugs, too. Okay. As she was uncovered, like, since she was so visible, the police really didn't have that difficult of a time locating her once they noticed, like, oh, there's a hand. Mm-hmm. but they were shocked by the injuries sustained to her face like oh. she was pretty much unrecognizable yeah. yeah not great there was also a gunshot wound to her neck it was discovered that Pazota was Volpe's ex-girlfriend okay they had been together for about nine tumultuous years and in like some of Pizzota's diaries. She described, you know, that he was like an addiction. Like, she had a love for him that she just could not resist. Okay. Okay. Answers started coming out about that night. Volpe had called his ex-girlfriend, Pizzota, who was age 27, asking her to drop off VHS tapes at the chalet, which she agreed to do. And I read VHS tapes and I was like, remember those. <laughs> pizota arrived at eleven thirty PM with the tape and was greeted by the couple at the gate. They all went inside the house together and Pizzota and Volpe sat at the kitchen table talking while Ballerine made coffees in the kitchen. When Ballerain returned to the sitting area, Volpe asked her to get two speedballs together, and that was described as a combination of cocaine and heroin. Okay. Ballerain recalled being confused by being asked to make two because there were three people present. Volpe and Pozota had started arguing when a gunshot went off. Pozota had been shot in the throat. She lay on the dining room floor, surrounded by her blood pooling around her. Volpe, in a panic shock, called a friend to come and help him with the situation. See, Volpe claimed that it was his friend who was named Nicola Saponi, who had ordered Volpe to kill his girl, ex-girlfriend. Saponi arrived at the chalet and was shocked to discover that Pizzotto was not dead. Oh. It was about half hour since the gun went off. So... Oh, that poor lady. Yeah. Volpe claims that Saponi got mad at him, saying, quote, you can't even kill a person, end hmm. quote. So, after that, they moved the wounded girl to the greenhouse using a wheelbarrow. As the two men started covering Pizzota in dirt, Balleraine, who had held the door open for them, started screaming that she was still alive after watching the injured girl move her feet. This is when Saponi started battering Pizzota's face with a shovel until she died, and those were the cause of death. Oh, that is not a way I'd want to go. No. hundred percent no. That is my I biggest. would be a residual spirit haunting their asses. Oh. Forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Definitely not good. Not a fan. Especially, like, humans are just so shitty because we can die instantly from, like, tripping over our own feet and hitting our head, and that'll kill us- yeah, but then we get shot in the neck and we cannot die. How is that fair? Right. Like, it's humans want to survive. And it, it just... Boggling. Boggling. And I don't know. It's just it's so scary just to think, I guess, for me. Mm-hmm. That it, you should... Like, especially in how the media portrays it. Somebody gets shot once and they're dead. Yeah. No. no. It's not the case. Wow. Or it's hiding under their jacket. Sorry to get dark there. <laughs> okay. So once the poor attempt to cover her body was complete, Saponi ordered the couple to ditch Fizoda's car. So this catches us up from the beginning. Okay. So why had Saponi ordered the death of Volupi's ex girlfriend? This was because she was threatening to go to the police and reveal a secret that they could not let out. Volpe claimed that the band he was in was more than just a group of friends that would make music together. They were also a secret set of Satan worshippers. You can be a Satan worshipper and like, you know, just go on live in your life. Not this group. Okay. And he revealed what he had killed Mariangela Pizzotta for knowing about. January 17th, 1998, in Milan, Italy, there was a young couple, Fabio Tolis, who was 16, and his girlfriend, Chiara Marino, who was 19, and they went to the Midnight Pub to see a show. Tolis was a bass player in the scene, in like part of the group, part of Beasts of Satan, Mm-hmm. And this is where they would all hang out. They would all hang out at the Midnight Pub. Okay. And do performances. So, and, like, the Midnight Pub was the epicenter of metal in the Milan scene, right? In Milan for the heavy metal scene. Okay. Okay. So the couple had spent the night drinking, enjoying themselves with their friends. Like, they were just having a good night. Well, Andrea volop volop. Oh. Fulpe, decided that the night wasn't over and that the group should continue their party in the woods. Located 30 miles northwest of Milan, the wooded area was private and far away from the nearest town. Once there, the group continued to, like, drink, kind of party, did some drugs, you know, they were all having a good time. But soon, Fulpe's true intentions were revealed. Marino would be a sacrifice oh members say that there was different reasons why Marino was to be sacrificed some say it was because volpe was threatened by tolus and wanted to take the 16 year old down a peg and others say it was because marion resembled the virgin mary so reports vary okay the young couple was murdered Marino was stabbed through her chest, and Tellus was stabbed, but also he was beaten repeatedly with a hammer. And was that after he died? No, it oh, was sheesh. not. Um, he died trying to defend Marino, too. Okay. According to all that's interesting, article that I found, um, it says that one of the reports claimed that after the murders, Sopone shoved chestnut leaves down their throat and also that he dipped his cigarette in their blood and smoked it hmm. other reports claim still that once the pair was buried in a large grave that the cult group kind of just partied on and pretty much danced on their graves Ooh. and the reports claim that either volpe or sapone mocked the dead couple saying, quote, now you're both zombies, try to get out of this hole if you dare, end quote. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Sapone had allegedly, to some reports, forced Tullus to call his father beforehand, saying that he wouldn't be returning home as he was going to be sleeping with his girlfriend that night. Okay. Finding this very suspicious, Mikhail Tullus, Fabio's father, told the police of the call when his son did not return home, thinking that the two teenagers had just ran off. the police did not investigate further mm-hmm Mikhail did not believe this, and he actually spent the next six years trying to learn everything he could about his son and like where he could have gone what could have happened, and he ended up like just spending a lot of time in the heavy metal scene just mm-hmm. that's what his son was into, so maybe they knew mm-hmm. This, of course, led the man to the beasts of Satan, whose members were all very much pushing the narrative that the young Fabio had ran away. So, while I've got this opportunity, I'm just going to quickly, here's like a quick member list. So, here, get ready for a lot of names. Okay. Okay. So, the leaders of the group were Niccolo, Nicola Sappone and Paolo Leone. So, and Paolo's nickname was Ozzy after Ozzy Osbourne. Okay. Okay. There and there was also Eros Montereso and Marco Zimpolo. Also in the group was Pietro Guerri, Mario Macconi, Andrea Bonato, and Andrea Volpe. And while they were alive, there was also Fabio Tolis and Chiara Marino. And those two were kind of like at the bottom of the group. They sustained the most... Abuse, I'm gonna say, like stuff like spitting, biting. Um, They had like cigarettes put out on them. And then they were sacrificed? Well, and it's shitty because they weren't just sacrificed. They actually had two attempts made on their lives. So they tried to kill Chiara once by like making it look like a heroin overdose, but the police were there, so they decided not to. And after that incident, Fabio was like, mmm. I'm not really into to murder guys, but I'm going to still hang out. And they're like, well, you're going have to have to die too. So they tried to kill them by putting a firecracker in the exhaust of the car that they were both in. That didn't kill them. I'm sorry. And these two didn't decide like. Well, they didn't like, once again, a lot of drugs. Like they would drink like just pretty much straight alcohol with mescaline and with LSD in it. So. Okay. They it, nobody's in their right frame of mind. Yeah, <laughs> that's really sad. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, so, like I said, he knew of the plan to sacrifice Kiara, and that sealed his fate when he like tried to start to distance himself from the group. Part of joining the group was the rule that if was the rule that you could only la- leave if you died. Oh. Because of the confession made by Volpe, he was hoping, like, so he was hoping for leniency by confessing, and he helped the investigators. He directly directed law enforcement to where the bodies were buried from the 1998 murders. Oh, Though fingers were thrown around at each other for being the masterminds of the beasts of Satan, um, doesn't matter, convictions were really swiftly placed, like, you're all going down for it. Exactly. Volpe was sentenced to 30 years in prison in 2005 for the 98 murders and the murder of Mary Angela Mm-hmm. Zapone was sentenced to life in prison in 2006. And it's kind of funny because his lawyer was tried to do an insanity plea for him saying that the LSD was the reason why these things happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, he still got life in prison. He was considered the mastermind of the plots. So. Well, and it's like he sees a woman who's still alive after being shot, and your first thought is to bash her face in with a shovel. Mm hmm. I'm sorry. Get fucked. Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, doesn't matter how much LSD yep. you're on. Probably just shouldn't do that. Yep. So yeah, he was the leader and the one who orchestrated the murders. And just quickly listing the other members' sentences after uh 2007 court of appeals. So I think pretty much everybody was tried between 2005 and 2006. They did it quick, like they did an appeal court, and some sentences were made longer. I can't think of the uh, better. extended. Thank you. They were extended, and others were shortened. So after the two thousand seven Court of Appeals, Paolo Leone's twenty six years and became a life sentence. Oh. Marcos and Polo went from twenty six years to twenty nine years and two months. Why were they extended? Probably after like looking at different circumstances they were extended. I don't have complete details about that. Okay. And Eros Monterosso was increased from 24 years to 27 years and three months. So that's the same increase as Zampolo. Notably, uh, Pietro Ghirai was only sentenced to 16 years. And Elisabetta Ballerain was sentenced to 23 years. Wow. Yes. Although not confirmed, there are other suspected deaths thought to be caused by the beasts of Satan. Andrea Bonatad died after drinking and driving, resulting in a fatal car crash the summer of 1998. Mm-hmm. This was thought to be, to have been brought on because Bonatad had not taken part in the 1998 murder of the couple. Mm-hmm. And so was slowly being pushed into suicidal behavior by the group. Okay. And that was, like, as a punishment. There is another additional 14 unsolved crimes that took place in the same time frame and location that the Beasts of Satan were operating in. Hmm. These 14 crimes include suicides, disappearances, and violent deaths. Interestingly, these 14 had direct ties to group members either by being, like, alleged former members or acquaintances of curtain members oh, to list a few, there was the hanging of Andrea Ballarain in May of nineteen ninety nine He was a childhood friend of Volpe's, and his body was found in the school he used to attend. seems pretty sus, yeah, yeah, in december nineteen ninety nine the caretaker of the cemetery in Legnano named Angelo Lombardo was burned alive. What? Yeah, he was an acquaintance of some of the group members. My oh, God. And then there was Luca Colombo, that was a friend of Sapone, and he was found hanged in May of two thousand four. Other than accusations made by Mario Macone, one of the beasts of Satan's, in- of the beasts of Satan's involvement with these deaths, no other members have corro- corroborated. And it's never been proven. It's just a lot of people link those disappearances and murders to the Beasts of Satan. Mm -hmm. You know, how many members of the Beasts of Satan were there? There was seven. And how many of them got uh, jail time? So other than the one that died, I think six of them. So they all did? Yeah. You know, that's really interesting that they all got such huge sentences. hmm And I'm not saying it's okay. It's not okay. But could it have maybe been fear? I think there was some fear involved with, like, maybe some of the lesser group members. Mm-hmm. Like, there was three of them that actively participated in the murder mm-hmm. of the couple. But the... Other members were still, like, they were at the club trying to make it look like nothing was going on. and Okay, so they were involved, just not directly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I thought maybe they were just stuck there and they were like, Lord have mercy. No. Okay. No, I to a degree, I'm sure there was fear keeping them in and keeping them silent. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that summer, another one of their members died by suicide. Allegedly, right? hmm So there they had that kind of pack mentality. Yep. In place. Lording that fear over these numbers. Okay. So Elizabeth Ballerine was released from prison in two thousand seventeen. And despite a thirty year sentence, Andrea Volpe was released from prison in two thousand twenty. According to Wikipedia, he is studying science of education. What exactly is he going to do with that? Well, I just want to mention that this man wrote in his diary, according to an LA Times article I found, quote, We are wicked individuals. We plague the people, and we play with their lives. We know no pity. End quote. So, I don't know about... That, I think it's very interesting that a 30-year sentence got shortened that amount. To what, 15? Maybe? Mm, He was sentenced in 2005, yeah, so 15 years. Doesn't seem like 30 to me. No. And, like, there was some member saying that there wasn't deaths involved with their Satan worshipping until Volpe got involved. Like there was a few different members saying that. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's the one getting out so early just really left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. But that is the story of the Beasts of Satan. Oh. Yeah. That was quite a ride. Right. I was I had a very difficult time choosing a case because like as soon as you look up occult murders the manson family comes up and don't get me wrong i can understand aspects of it mm-hmm. but that is so much to unpack in one episode oh 100 it is so like, there is that there is there's a few that i was like oh this could be really great but i'm like oh it's too satanism mm-hmm. so I think I, I was happy when I found this case and there was a lot of information on it. There is a documentary in Italian that I had to listen to with subtitles and <laughs> it was super interesting. That's amazing. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for listening. All right. What is your O? My O is for orphanage. Oh, that'll be dark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to sugarcoat it for you. Okay. Okay. So, I'd originally heard of this one as I was watching, um, Zach Bagans. Ghost Adventures. Ghost Adventures. Yes. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. And I didn't know. So, we're gonna go with this one. Nice. So, in Twin Bridges, Montana, stands the Montana State Orphan's Asylum, a.k.a. Twin Bridges Orphanage. Okay it was established to provide a haven for innocent children whose poverty and need might lead to lives of crime. Uh Uh-oh. The orphanage was designed as a sprawling Victorian structure known as the castle. Ooh. To prepare children for productive adult lives by segregating them and providing them with food education, career training, and rigid structure. How rigid is this structure? Girl. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, bad feeling about this. Yeah. The Montana State Orphanage in Twin Bridges, Montana first opened in 1894. That should tell you all you need to know about the structure. I see. Okay. It was later renamed the Montana State Children's Center, and the orphanage housed over 5,000 children over 81 years until it finally closed in 1975. Wow, that's a lot of kids. Yeah. Wow. I'm always really concerned and maybe it's just me but when a building gets named like a few different times it just like really irks me like i don't know why maybe because like it's I like rebranding like, kind of when you've tainted the name you rebrand yeah it just yeah it irks me what are you hiding oh i totally agree mm-hmm. we, we see this a lot mm-hmm. in my stories well that's one thing i've really noticed covering all the different uh many named haunted buildings yeah it's wild Mm -hmm. so after montana's mining boom declined in the 19th century many families were left in poverty a lot of children were placed in the montana state orphans home children were delivered to the orphanage for a variety of reasons some had lost their parents while others sadly had parents who simply could no longer care for them If a mother had been widowed and had no income, or families just had too many little mouths to feed, sometimes they had no choice but to turn over their children in hopes that they'd receive a better life. The population at the orphanage boomed during the Great Depression. Yeah, As many as 400 children lived there during that time. Yeah, I can definitely imagine that. Well, have you seen pictures from the Great Depression where it's like... Women with their signs like children for sale. and Yeah. Like, that's just an awful time. Mm-hmm. The numbers dwindled after that. Good. Okay. Especially as our society began to learn more about institutionalized living. Ah. Which it's been proven that if you segregate people, it doesn't turn out well. No, not at all. In a lot of ways, the orphanage was a wonderful place. It was a self-sustaining community where residents were taught life skills. It had a swimming pool, an elementary school, livestock, dairy cows, barns, chicken coops, and a butcher shop. A shoe shop, a steam plant, and it all operated at one time by the children. It even had its own hospital. Okay, see, does this giving you vibes of maybe my first story I covered? Kind of, a little bit, but I was thinking if all of those things were automated... I could live on this land by myself. (laughs) Like, that sounds like heaven to me. (laughs) But there's a lot of kids there, so that takes it away. (laughs) Fair. There was space for children to play and run free. Oh, okay. Yep. So, on paper. Sounds perfect. Great, right? You're teaching them life skills, they have a place to be. Yeah. But then we get into the rigid structure. Here we go. Now, it would be impossible to have an institution full of orphans without there being a little sadness. Uh-huh. Talking with adults who were raised there as children has led to stories of depression, loneliness, and harsh discipline. hmm The orphanage staff ran a very tight ship, and children were expected to behave. Uh-huh. There have been multiple reports of neglect and abuse. The abuse at the orphanage was extreme. Children were whipped for wetting the bed or hung on coat hooks. What? They were hosed down or locked in dark rooms for punishment. Oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't have it in here, but I was reading some of the articles of, like, people who grew up there. Yeah. And they were talking about how they would wake up early to make sure that they could dry their clothes off from on, like, the heat registers before bed check. Oh, no. To avoid getting whipped. Oh, man. Yeah. Like. Well, these are, like, small children. Mm-hmm. They don't have control over that. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So, many children also perished on the property from disease. Mm-hmm. One former employee said there were 30 headstones in the yard for the children, but they've since disappeared. Now, in Twin Bridges Cemetery, there is a plaque with a list of names commemorating the children that died there. On this list of children who died at the orphanage between the years of 1897 and 1994, or 1944, okay. there are 160 names, but it is believed that there is more as the list only contains documented deaths. Oh. Ugh. That's wild, though, that there's only 30 headstones. They only had 30 headstones on the property. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I don't like that. Well, nobody's going to drop their kid off if you have 100 headstones out front. Yeah, but there was 5,000 over (laughs) the time period. Yeah, I guess that doesn't um sit well with the image that they're trying to portray. No. One excerpt from the Seattle Times from a former resident wrote, Their toothbrushes hung among 50 others, 50 identical hooks for their washcloths in a cottage set aside for boys of a certain age. Every morning, they watched the same ritual, the whipping of bedwetters. Every Tuesday night, they ate stew. Every Wednesday, they ate beans. Every Thursday, hash or chipped beef. Every Friday was fish. Mm. Gotta say, though, I'm not a fan of that menu. No. I would die if I had to eat beans every Wednesday. I would not be thrilled. I would die if I had to eat stew every Tuesday. You know what? That's a good point. What is a chipped beef anyways? (laughs) I I don't know. I I don't know. (laughs) not a fan. It's also not very inclusive. You know, like, what if people have allergies? What if I want to eat chicken, huh? They had coops. They had chicken coops. So, like, that would have been for the eggs. you are probably all laying chickens, right? I feel like you can still eat laying chickens. I mean, you can, but... I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm just saying. Like, as far as menus go, like. That's pretty um, sad. On top. Could you imagine being whipped and be like, I'm getting whipped on fucking bean night? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> could you imagine being whipped after bean night? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then all you've got is hash to look forward to. <laughs> oh. I wonder what kind of beans. Like, if it was green beans, okay, but like. If it was like farting beans, definitely some refried or like some brown beans with their molasses sauce. Oh, no bueno. (laughs) So many of the buildings that still stood were run down and dilapidated, but there are still remnants of the days of the orphanage: old pairs of shoes, abandoned theaters, swimming pools. They're all relics of the past. So from what I've kind of gathered is the castle had two wings. Okay. It had the girls' cottage and the boys' cottage. Okay. And then they had, like, the center, which was, like, a tower. Okay. It's kind of how I'm envisioning it. Is it still standing? Girl. Okay. Of course it is. Yes. Since its closing, ownership of the Montana's Children's Center has changed several times. Leslie Adams and her father bought it in 2007. They've spent several years repairing and restoring the old buildings. When the orphanage closed, the staff simply locked the doors and left. So there was a lot of work to be done. Oh, wow. Which, for a children's home, you'd think there would be some paperwork. Some moving out. You said it would close in the 40s, right? 75. 75, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The property was considered in a proposal for the home of the Montana Cowboys Hall of Fame. But it lost out to another building. Which, you know what? Probably, I feel like that's a little disrespectful. <laughs> probably for the best. Yeah. The Montanans, the Montana Children's Center certainly did a lot of good. Children were well-fed, clothed, taught valuable life lessons. But still, it would be wrong to discredit the feelings of those who grew up under those conditions. Mm -hmm. The orphanage certainly filled a need, but it does have a dark side to the history. Leslie Adams is the current owner of the property. She's lived on the property since 2007. Oh, she's got to have some good ghost stories. And claims to have heard children singing inside of the abandoned buildings. Oh, no. She says she doesn't get creeped out by the old buildings anymore and provided the following statement. Happy thoughts lead to happy places. Interesting. That's quite the power of positivity. Yeah. But some of the children that went to the orphanage never left. So I think this raises a really good point. Because um, next I'm going to go into the two episodes that I watched and kind of let you know like what they found on their investigations. But I think it's a really interesting fact that if it was only children that died here, is it maybe like, yes, they're stuck here, but you might not have any malicious hauntings? You know, I would like you to see where you're coming from, but on the other hand, children I feel don't necessarily know how to regulate their emotions while they're alive. So. Mm. You combine that with a child that maybe doesn't necessarily ever get to grow up and learn how to regulate those emotions. I don't necessarily seeing that mm-hmm. being like an okay environment, I guess. That's a fair point. You know, like, there's adults, children are a spectrum. You've got really happy children, and you've got really angry children. Mm-hmm. And if they're already depressed, from a whipped area having to eat beans. I don't know. I think it's You're really be... caught up on those beans. I'm not a fan, but <laughs> yeah, I uh I could see it being a mixed bag as far as hauntings go. This is true. Yeah. Though personally, mm-hmm. I think I would rather live in a haunted by children area than a haunted by Adult Asylum patients? I was even more thinking like haunted jail. haunted criminals you know i would just rather not stay in those locations (laughs) maybe give me a haunted hotel (laughs) then you don't even know what you're walking into exactly give me a surprise (laughs) oh lord you're really living on the edge (laughs) shallies so in 2018 adams invited the crew from travel channels ghost adventures and destination fear to investigate reports of paranormal activity Mm -hmm. and boy did this place not disappoint oh i'm so excited destination fear on discovery plus during their investigation recorded bodily feelings of needing to leave Mm -hmm. a door shutting on its own in the castle's high girls cottage on the bottom floor with their ovulus which allows spirits to select words from a database yeah yeah when asked if there's someone there. And who are they? They got the answer of Anne. Oh. Like A-N-N-E. Oh. When asked if she made friends here, did you feel fulfilled here? They got the answer, Harriet. Oh, she got a friend. Yeah. And then in the main part of the castle, noises were heard and then a figure rushed one of the investigators with heavy footsteps and then felt unnerved like they were being watched. Oh. See that's another thing too. Kids are really creepy without trying to be yeah <laughs> i I agree um when asking questions on the ovulus, it said, "Friend and then girl, and I think maybe it was the girl from the girl's cottage following the investigator when the ovulus told them to hide then enemy, oh no, oh no, and like. It wasn't, like, questions. It just, it's like, girl, and then they were trying to talk, and then all of a sudden it's, like, hide, enemy. Oh, my God. Nothing prompting in between. It was so fucking creepy. That is super creepy. Whew. Yeah. So then in the gym locker room with a music box, so, um, do you know what the music box does? It's, like, when an energy goes in front of it, it, like, beeps. okay. I was definitely picturing, like, an actual, like, a music box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a twirling ballerina. No? No. Okay. The music box kept going off when asked if they are talking to a girl. So he is, like, two beeps for girl, one beep for boy. Okay. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Oh, no. No, 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 He was just like, is this a boy? Nothing. Is this a girl? Went off. Okay. And then they asked if they didn't enjoy their experience here. The music box went off. Mm-hmm. And then, when asked if the spirit liked the gym, the music box went off. Okay. Yeah. Then, in another section of the house, when they were investigating the school, they heard coughing. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. And then there was this really cool balloon experiment where they hung a bunch of balloons from the ceiling Uh and just filmed them and was asking questions and everything. All of a sudden, the two guys that were filming it got this like weird, we need to leave. Yeah. Like we are unwanted. Something's happening. This is not okay. And as they're discussing it, the middle balloon pops with like, so much force it like sends part of the balloon down the hallway oh my god oh no that is wild yeah so here they are being like you know if you're a kid and you want to play with the balloon please just take it like go have fun with it and then they get this malicious anger oh no like i could just see some wench old school teacher coming in being like who the I put this in my place and just taking it down like t- trench bowl. Yeah, 100%. Oh. oh my god, that is creepy. It oh, yeah, 100%. So then The Ghost Adventures on Discovery Plus. This made my stomach churn, so I had to include it for you. Okay. When talking to a previous employee, sat down and talked to the crew. She laughed about shoving a child's head in a toilet bowl for sassing her. I think the fuck not, you old wench. Literally. She went on live TV without, like, blurring her face. Her name is right up in there. And she was like, yeah, I told this boy to go and clean the toilet. And he gave me this, I don't want to. She was like, I'll show you you don't want to. And shoved his head in the toilet bowl and flushed it a couple times. And then she's sitting on live TV giggling about it. And she's like, "Oh, we have so many stories like that." Oh no. no you should no, be no. on Most Hated America. Oh my god. And there's people still alive from enduring that kind of bullshit. Honestly, I think Ghost Adventures did it really well. Was that they had a man who lived here and told them of the abuse. And actually got, like, really emotional about it. And then they fucking showed this wench giggling. And I think they did a really good job of portraying, like, ooh. Yeah. No. No, 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 no. No. No, no, no. I would like to say, watching both these episodes, given the fact that they were in an orphanage, both crews were very respectful. Oh, that's refreshing they were extremely respectful of the space they were in and the fact that it was children and it was almost like damn near heartwarming how they were talking to the kids not not doing it to get a rise yeah like like you think some, of when you're ghost hunting sometimes or specifically ghost adventures um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so it was really heartwarming to see that okay um i think they did a really good job covering such a shitty place awesome It's always so refreshing to hear yeah um so now after we covered that sea wench an eyewitness curtis mathis who is good friends with leslie the owner was walking the grounds i witnessed a bunch of children playing basketball on the court one day what Yep. oh man they weren't real children. I mean, I was thinking you were going to say that. Oh, that's spooky. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I don't know if you already said this or like if I just forgot. Is it's not like near a town, is it? It's like fairly isolated. The grounds? It's within town limits. Okay. But I don't think it's like I think it's on like an outskirts of the town. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to like really map it in my mind so like could a group of kids walk over there probably wouldn't be likely no okay no 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 okay and it's gated and locked and kept away from people and in one of the interviews they were talking to the owner and they'd actually asked her why she never let anybody in why they were the first people that were allowed in And she was like, I feel like it is my job to protect this place and the children within it. Oh, wow. That just gave me chills. (sighs) Yeah. Um, So, like, it's not open to the public. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Like, I think it would be really interesting for them to open it up as, like, a museum to be like, look at this. When you look at sky photos of it, it looks like a... Count, yeah honestly, and it's huge. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be super cool if they restored it and actually made a museum out of it. But I also could totally respect her being like, "Why would we bring people in here to piss off the spirits?" Hundred percent. Totally understand where she's coming from. Yeah. So continuing on, after the ghost children playing basketball, Ghost has seen many orbs. They recorded scratching and footsteps. Yeah. Dark moving figures, extreme temperature fluctuations. Now, this one really got me. There was a scratch on a door, and then three slight little knocks. Oh, gross. Yeah. And then Zach sees a light anomaly, and they used their EVP and recorded, I see you. Then, I can't do nothing. Oh, no. A noise appeared to be rushing at the guys in the gymnasium after leaving the gymnasium. Mm. They heard lots of noises and scratching coming from where they just left, which was the gymnasium. Yeah. And then a light orb shot across the camera. When they pulled out the ovulus, it wrote out projection. What? Completely unprompted. What? Yeah. They asked if they showed themselves... And it wrote, hide. When asked who needs to hide, it wrote, return. The spirit wanted them to return to the gym. Weird. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Once returning to the gym, trying to play hide and seek, there were children's fresh footprints in the dust on the floor. Oh, my God. Then heard a child singing a nursery rhyme when they went into the pool area oh no oh no 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 they then heard a thump and when they reviewed the footage they seen a ball roll from the equipment room and roll into the pool oh my god and so then as one does they asked it if they could move the ball further and the ball moved <gasps> unprompted it was like dead still sitting in a pool of water not even a ripple and then all of a sudden they're like could you please move the ball again and it moves like two feet to the right and it stops yeah oh whoa yeah so then when using the ovulus they got the name carol and so in this part zach bagans was like all twisted up on a ladder trying to like get pictures and evps and whatever yeah and the ovulus said laugh twist (laughs) She was laughing at him. Yeah, I would too. Carol knows what's up. Right? Can't be good for your back. (laughs) So that is my story of Twin Bridges State Orphan's Asylum. That was fascinating. That was such a good case. Thank you. And I got all my information from archiveseattletimes.com, only in your state, ranker, and montanaswomenshistory.org. And I watched all the episodes on Discovery+. Plus. That is awesome. Yeah. This one was really cool. I had a lot of fun researching it and watching the episodes, and I liked how there was more than just one um, investigation on it, because then you get to see multiple techniques and different methods, which is always fun. On different interactions, too, right? Because you have two burly men going in there, whereas... um, destination fear they have a couple women okay so you definitely see the difference a hundred percent you would yeah mm-hmm. it was really interesting that would be that's awesome yeah okay that wraps us up for oh you will have to tune in next tuesday as we cover p. p yes thank you so much for listening please don't forget to rate and subscribe and review us yes and if you have any stories or questions or if you just want to reach out email us at c is for creepy at gmail.com thanks for listening bye thanks for tuning in to c is for creepy we put out weekly episodes every tuesday going through the creepy alphabet check out our website at acast.com slash c is for creepy or on facebook at c is for creepy podcast or on instagram at c for creepy podcast if you have any questions concerns or suggestions please email us at c for creepy at gmail.com artwork done by alexis Daly. check out her work at lexxa underscore artwork on instagram see you next week bye